Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Would you stand uh, for the reading of the word? We're going to read from John 14. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keep them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We've been talking about the person of the Holy Spirit in this series called The One We Long For. Beholding the way that um, Christians have understood God, the divine, the ground of our being from the very beginning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, in some mysterious way, is this community of three in oneness fascinating. And so the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about these last couple of weeks, is um, the, the, in so many ways the aspect of God, the part of God, the person of God that we interact with on a regular basis. And in the beginning, the text that I just read is the beginning of what is called in the book of John the farewell discourse. And we've actually returned to this a bunch over this series. You learn a lot about the vision, mission, call in farewells of any time. I think I mentioned a few weeks back, it's been said that like the the most like peak high quality way to die is to actually know the end date and be surrounded by family and friends and being able to impart with a like alert mind, like final words and blessings and sendings and reconciliation and whatever else. And so Jesus, we have John, uh, the way he even writes this, maps on with a classical Jewish farewell discourse. And it begins, really, this whole section, if we had, like, to put the context of all of this in one verse, it's do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And Jesus, just to, like, kind of cut to the end for a minute, Jesus is saying something, and he's very clear. He's not just writing to the disciples that are in front of him, but he's literally writing to you, Jenya. Like he's literally writing to you, Sam. He's literally writing to you. He says, not just for those who saw me, not just for those who heard me, who see me now in front of me, but but actually for those that will come and then hear these words from him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. My temptation is to like goodwill hunting you right now. I just say it again and again and again. Like take that into your body. We're like, yeah, sweet. sweet. Don't, like don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus coming up alongside you in moments of trouble. Hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. 
don't let your hearts be troubled. I remember the first time um, I drove on my own very distinctly. Um, it, was a, it was a drive into town. We, we lived about 15 minutes from town. And it is a drive, I can't even begin to imagine how many times I had done this drive with my parents. We grew up in the, the same neighborhood my whole life, or most of my life. And so we just would do the same path. It was up Fairgrounds Road, took a left onto Route 138, go past URI, take a right onto 108, and then you are into town. Anyone remember the first time they had to drive somewhere on their own? And by the way, anybody pre-GPS? None of you cheaters out there. Anyone old enough to remember that? Anyone remember printing out MapQuest? Oh, man. I, you know, as we glorify the past, we're like, those were the days. That actually was the worst. Like, here's to modern-day GPS. <laughs> um, but uh, so obviously I've never done print out MapQuest to drive into town. But I had this moment as I was taking a left on the 138 for the first time driving by myself, and I realized, like, I've done this a million times, and I'm nervous. And the distinct feeling wasn't nervous about driving, or maybe I'm sure that was there subconsciously, like I'm in the car without, without dad. By the way, anyone have a parent that they preferred to learn to drive with? And anyone who was just, like, straight up off limits? Yeah, oh my gosh, my mom. Like, no way was I going to try to drive with my mom. Stop! She wanted one of those brakes, you know. You guys ever do driving, driving lessons where they had the, the, the person in the passenger seat had the brake? And you're like, oh my gosh, I actually want to get them to use it. I remember thinking, like, I wonder if I could pull up really tight and get them to slam on the brake. <laughs> anyway, I'm driving, and I am that, that this ache in my bones. Like, do I know where I'm going? Sort of like psyching yourself out. There's somebody, I won't call them out because I didn't ask them permission for this. There's somebody who is just an incredible person in sales, unbelievably gifted, like person you'd never think in a million years to get nervous. And at one time I was like, hey, would you be up for like doing the MC stuff, right? So Andrew doesn't come up and do announcements and ramble for like 20 minutes. And he was like kind of reluctant and he comes up here and I was like, I thought you did great, man. And he was like, yeah, never again. I was like, oh, how come? He's like, I just went blank just went blank. Anyone like that with public speaking? You're just like, you get up there and you're like, nothing. There's nobody here. There's just like, it's a tunnel. I, I don't even know where I am. It was kind of, I mean, it wasn't quite that extreme, but it was like when I was driving, I just suddenly got so nervous and had to pull over for a moment and like get my bearings and remember where I was headed. There's something about that, that moment <laughs> where you were like embarking on the journey without the net. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me. We read that in verse 22. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, right? Love and obedience, love and trust. Love is more than a feeling. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. 
I've shared these things while I was still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is giving his apprentices and everybody that comes after him something. And he wraps it all up with this word peace, this word shalom, this whole life blessing, this everything in its right place. He's giving to them. He's is, he is, he is giving them. What does Jesus have? What is the, where does this peace derive from? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He has this relationship with the Father and he says, I am leaving you as something. What is he leaving with them? In verse 20, right, we see he's leaving them with this like generosity. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and I am in you. There's this freedom this endless giving and receiving, this generous relationship he is in. This is one of the key spaces that give us a snapshot of the Trinity, of what God is like. Jesus had union with God. Jesus had intimacy and connection with God. And so lest we think we can't like, you know, interact with the Lord of the universe like Jesus did. Obviously he was like one of them. Like Jesus explicitly You don't have to know any ancient Greek or do some hermeneutical gymnastics to get there. Like a literal Bible reading is the life I have, Jesus saying this, the life I have with God, I'm giving to you and not just you, but everybody who comes after. You can have this life. It's a big claim. If that's true, that's pretty, you know, hopefully like the, that sweet meter is like going off because that's a thing. Verse 21 (laughs) that sweet meter, not in my notes. Verse 21, he talks about the love of the Father. Jesus's life seems to be thoroughly saturated with the love of God. Elsewhere in scripture, Jesus is giving these commands based out of the blessing and love and relationship he has with the Father. Matthew 5, love your enemies. There's so much love within him. The movement is love toward all people. Matthew 6, he talks about the birds of the air. Are you not more valuable than them? His life was so saturated with the love and peace of God, there's this contentment. He's not wondering whether God will provide for them. He gives these commands out of the relationship that he has with God. He does not have a sense of lack. Don't worry about tomorrow, he says in this this section in Matthew. If you're new to the scriptures, I'm quoting the Sermon on the Mount. And this is like the the kingdom manifesto. Jesus' manifesto of what life in the kingdom looks like. Love your enemies. Don't worry about like your clothes. Don't obsess about like clothing and things like this. Don't obsess about it. Press in to the reality that God will provide for you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Don't be anxious about everything. The love of God grounds him. Jesus had an inner life so thoroughly saturated with the love and peace of God. And then we read, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
one of the clearest places that we get an image of what the Holy Spirit's like. Now, let me pause for a minute. For those of you like, okay, cool. It's great to have some general Bible information. This is a helpful little Bible study. I'll have some more knowledge. To get clarity on, on the relationship actually helps you lean deeper into it, does it not? My wife and I just celebrated our anniversary. And so, to, thank you. And so, I wasn't fishing, but thank you. Um, the, I did expect a little more. No, I was kidding. <laughs> kidding, kidding. So, um, knowing when I stepped into the marriage, like what, what, the, what some of the basic grounds were, some, some general assumptions, stated and unstated, and they're stated here, of like what actually life is going to be like. We're going to be loyal to each other. We're going to give of ourselves fully to, to one another. It says, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're going to have a way in which we love one another. As the husband, there's ways I'm going to love and serve her. As the wife, there's ways she's going to love and serve me. There's this invitation um, to a whole new life and commitment and covenant with one another. So this isn't just like, hopefully, like this doesn't just play as interesting random doctrine. But a verse that is that clear, the advocate, which we're going to get to that in a minute, the Holy Spirit, so same thing, whom the Father will send in my name, like in my character, in my way is what that means, will teach you all things. So what does the Holy Spirit do right now in 2023 if we were to trust it? it? Teaches us. It will remind you of everything that Jesus taught. It will remind you of everything. These things are the things that Jesus has been teaching them. He's been teaching them how to walk in deeper trust. He's been teaching them how to live the life of the kingdom. He has been walking alongside them. He said, this is what the Holy Spirit's gonna do, but this is what he's been doing. And then we read in verse 25, Jesus is gonna leave them, which is jarring news. Not part of the disciples' plan, of these apprentices' plans. They've been with him for three long years. What's he been doing with them? What's he gonna remind us apparently of? He's been challenging them. He's been comforting them. He's been loving them, coaching them. He's been catching them. He's been modeling life for them. He's been showing them what's possible. He's been revealing the very nature of God. It's been an epic three years. It's been a big three years, and he's going to leave them. And then apparently, this is a good thing. If you remember elsewhere in the scriptures, it says, you will do even greater things than the things you've seen me do. It's good for me to go away. Unless you think this is like some hyperbole that doesn't really count, it's just something preachers use to like hype the room. He literally says before this, truly I tell you, truly I tell you, truly I tell you, you'll do even greater things. Truly, I tell you, better for me to go. And now an understandable idea should hopefully pop into most people's heads if you haven't already sort of sorted this out theologically. A lot of people, when they consider all of this, they go, uh, if only I had been there when Jesus was around. This doesn't seem like a good game plan. People often say, um, it would have just been so much easier. right? He would have been able to explain everything to us, told us what to do. It had been such an encouragement. 
whatever we're doing, he'd be so like, just, we'd be able to see front and center, be much less doubt in the world, much less doubt in the world if Jesus were still here and walking around. It is a common perception, but it is wrong on two accounts if you're taking notes. Ways that I am wrong, point one. Just kidding. <laughs> First, you all all with me? Okay, great. First, the evidence of the four gospels suggests that people who were around in Jesus' day didn't get it. Most of the Bible, most of the New Testament, most of the gospel accounts are Jesus trying to give some clarity. He is walking with people, his apprentices, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and the main like through line, one of the more central themes of the gospels is people don't get what he's doing. They don't see it. Some of his closest friends betrayed him and denied him. Even the beloved disciple John ran away. Most people couldn't really make him out. He was compelling, but he was puzzling. And a lot of people just thought he was straight up crazy. Second, in this passage, and in a bunch of others, in the next, especially in the next two chapters, we find that Jesus has promised to be around with his people. In fact, he promised that it would be, hear this, easier not harder in this new mode. His people would be able to do things they couldn't do when he was physically present. Now, for those of you who've been around long enough, I have preached on this passage a handful of times over the last 10 years. And I often use this moment when teaching the text to point out this little pithy phrase. And anybody who's ever like led a team, coached sports, like coached in sports, tried to build an organization that was remotely healthy, Here's the line, presence prevents empowerment. This is where I kind of land this train. Like it may be Jesus's presence, just like, a, like if a coach like jumped out on the field and tried to play all the positions, right? In an organization, somebody's just constantly micromanaging at every level. Just sometimes your presence in the room. I've had to realize this again and again during seasons. Just me being in the room sometimes can shut down the empowerment of someone else. You know what I'm saying? So I'd often land there, and I actually don't want to, like, highlight that point. That could be true to a, to a fact, to a point. I, I still believe that makes a lot of sense. Jesus' physical presence, though, I, I think actually prevents his presence with all of us. It's like, instead of presence prevents empowerment, I actually think it's his physical presence that prevents his presence with all of us. I was listening to uh, a message here at Heart a few weeks back where Pastor Greg talked about the math of Jesus. Follow me for a second. The math of Jesus. I, I absolutely love this. Jesus, um, <laughs> I should just have you, Greg, come up and do this. <laughs> Let me tell you about the math. <laughs> How much time this is just so Greg Johnson, if you know Greg. It's so good. How much time would Jesus, physically on earth, the non-ascended, physically present Jesus get with us? He'd have 365 days in a year, or 8,800 hours. Divide that by two-thirds, because he has to sleep. That gives us about 5,800 hours, or 350,000 minutes, or 21 million seconds. Divide that by 8 billion people in the world, and each of us would get a whopping 3 milliseconds with Jesus each year. 
0.003 seconds. A finger snap lasts roughly seven milliseconds. So we would each get half of that with Jesus. If he were to somehow be able to like dart to each one of us. Or about a quarter a second over the span of our lives. If Jesus were one person, like the Pope, like Bono, like T-Swift, like whoever, we could at best see him on a balcony or a stage or a screen from a distance. And if we were incredibly lucky or important enough, maybe we'd even get a few minutes with him in our lifetime. But Jesus leaves. Jesus ascends and pours out his spirit so that he can dwell in our hearts forever. So that we can spend an hour with him every morning. So that we can talk with him during the watches of the night. So that we can walk with him day in and day out. Jesus is like, he's done the math. I wonder if his leaving is a sign of his deep, loving care for each and every one of us. He sends his presence with us to remind us of everything about him in his name. And he calls the spirit the paraclete. Verse 26, I'll give you an advocate. Para, real quick, means alongside of. Kaleo means to call to come alongside and to call. Um, it's been translated defender, comforter, speaks up for, guides, advocates is the, the, the most common translation. Paraclete, to call and to speak alongside of. It's that moment when you're in a race. Anybody do like long road races? It's that moment where someone strategically positions themselves at that moment where you know you're most gonna wanna give up. And they just start screaming and throwing something at you. They hand you a cup of water and they say, keep going. It's this person who speaks in your ear, you're gonna make it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. If there's a soundtrack to Paracleo, it would be like Eye of the Tiger. To speak and to remind and to push paraclete will run and walk and crawl alongside you. Sometimes the paracleo in ancient literature has a maternal aspect to it, like a mother holding her child. Anyone doing that like right now in the room, like holding their baby? It's like th this, this, this imagery of, of coming alongside and comforting, an advocate. In a lot of um, uh, non-Christian, non-biblical literature of that time where this word is used, it's like this court-appointed person who comes alongside and advocates for you, stands up and walks alongside you. What is Jesus doing here in this section? Why the like, walk, like, slow walk through John 14, 15, and 16 here? Why this reminder? Why spend four weeks on unpacking the Holy Spirit again, like every do every year? It's because we have to get clear on the relationship. We have to know what we're walking into and what God can and will do and ask ourselves the question, can we trust this and live into this? Because we all know we can know what a relationship should be and we cannot actually experience that 
We know how things are supposed to be and we somehow treat God like, I'm just gonna sit here and you do your God thing and maybe you'll get zapped by it. And if I don't get zapped by it, even though I'm not doing anything you asked me to do, then I'm just gonna suddenly resent you and walk away from the faith. Right? People do this, we do this. Our temptation is to do this. And Jesus is like, in the same exact passage, if you love me, like do what I say. Come and step into this life. Accept the confines and beauty of this relationship. I would like a relationship with you. I'm not here to control you. What is Jesus doing here? He is giving his followers his relationship with God. He is giving his followers his connection with God. Jesus wants his followers to have the same kind of life he experiences with the Father. There might be a few implications for us. Amen? Right? Even if all this is like, yeah, 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 I know this, I know this. I know, I do this often. When I go through a, a, a teaching, I cannot tell you how often I find myself just so moved all over again in some of the most basic doctrines. I say that just to like, I encourage you, like open your heart up right now as we land the plane. You can have just a bit more of the relationship that God, that Jesus has with God. There's all sorts of implications we could talk about, but I wanna talk about one because I think this is so critical to our time and place. Turn with me real quick to Luke 9. Luke 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, that's the disciples, he gave them power and authority to drive out evil, drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Proclaim that God has come near. Proclaim you can experience the life of heaven now. Proclaim that the forgiveness of sins has arrived. And he told them, take nothing for the journey. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag. No bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. He's telling the disciples, look, this is like a little training exercise. Sends them out, do this thing, come back, we're going to debrief. It's probably the best picture of what active discipleship looks like with a person, if it's someone you disciple. Study the word, send them out, try it, practice it, come back together, let's talk about how did that go. And this cycle just continues. And Jesus does this with his disciples again and again and again and again. Why? Why the, the, the strict command about what to carry and not to carry? It's like, don't burden yourselves with excessive possessions. One tunic's enough. No staff, no bread, no bag, no money. Nothing. The instructions parallel the travel practices of this particular Jewish group. Yes, and... and, and the, the, the Jews um, were, would instruct temple visitors to do this. And in contrast are like the Greek cynics and philosophers who sought money constantly. The disciples are to stay in one place, not move around within the village. In fact, the point there may be live as the locals do and live with them. The point of these instructions is that the disciples were to confidently trust God for whatever is needed in this situation to proclaim the gospel. The disciples are called to depend on God for provision, for care. There's an urgency to these instructions and to this mission. Travel light, depend on God. Travel light, 
depend on me. Travel light, depend on me. Trust me. Just trust him alone who sends them. Pilgrims, friends, travel light. If we have a great inheritance just around the corner, we do not like, I don't know, quibble over treasures here. We keep our eyes set on the things that will not rust, that moths will not destroy. We don't put our hope in steel. We don't put our hope in anything else. So Jesus, by telling them what not to pick up and what not to take with them, he is essentially telling them what they really need. I don't believe this is a command for everybody for all time. This is something specific he was doing for them. But it actually absolutely in principle lines up with all of Jesus' teachings. Travel light, depend on me. They don't need anything. Followers of Jesus have the spirit, the helper, the advocate, the life of the Trinity, access to this. You have it. You have it. You have it. And so the question I asked myself in just putting this simple reminder together in John today was, Andrew, do, do you want more of it? Do you want more of it? Do I want more of it? Do I want more of it? The, the question last week was like, do you want to drink? Do you want to drink of the living water again? This is nothing short of either insane, ludicrous, and delusional or life-changing. There can be people walking around with deeper intimacy and deeper connection to the God of the universe, the ground of their being, the love behind the love, the author of creation. Not just casually know him, but be empowered by him, be reminded by him. And as we go about the journey, knowing how the journey ends, which by the way is with nothing, the scriptures, you take nothing into this world, you're taking nothing out of it. The only things he says that will last are the things of the kingdom. Everything else just goes away. Everything else just goes away. Are you ruthless? Ruthless in allowing and going after the Holy Spirit who wants to indwell you? who you can have this sort of connection with. This is the relationship that is marked out for us by Christ. You can have freedom from worry. Do you want to take it? You have it. Do you want to take it? Whatever you pick up, dictates what you lay down. Whatever you pick up dictates what you lay down. Jesus telling them not to pick up and take this stuff with them. He's telling them what they really need. You have me. You have what you need. You have who you need. Don't let your hearts be troubled. This is why, in some translations, it's not advocate, but it's comforter. You can see why people made that decision. 
Holy Spirit, for those in need of comfort right now, I just pray that you would fall. Some of us, Lord, don't have the wherewithal, the courage, the understanding. And I know you're drawing them near. I just pray, Lord, that as we read your word, Holy Spirit, that you would whisper into the ear of those in need of comfort. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Peace I give you. The comforter is coming, the advocate. It's here. You can walk this way. You can actually live this way. You can live this way. There's a mission in front of us. Travel light. Travel light. You have what you need. You have what you need. See, we're tempted to think we need, whether it's stuff or controlling certain outcomes, that's going to be the thing that brings us comfort and brings us peace. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's not travel light. I'm telling you, that stuff, which can be a gift, money can be a gift, finances can be a gift, Owning things can be a gift. These things can be a gift, but it's harder for the rich to enter the kingdom. It's harder because there's so many temptations to not have you depend on me. That's why he does this. He wants to know us and love us. And he's like, don't let that stuff, that stuff is strong. And if you're not mature and if you don't have the life of God inside you and you're not rooted in love and don't have clarity on the mission, then all the stuff will start to cloud out your relationship with me. Sometimes people come to me who are dating somebody who's not a follower of Jesus and they ask like, is this okay, is this okay? And they're running it through like the sin, not sin lens. I always just tell them, look, there's one of two things that is gonna suffer, either your relationship with that person or your relationship with God. No equivocation. I believe that, black and white. One of those two things will ultimately suffer. That kind of intimacy you could have. And that's what Jesus in so many ways is saying here. You can have, I mean, we could talk about this through all sorts of different lenses. But I go to that passage in Luke about the journey because, oh my goodness, travel light, friends. Don't put your trust in anything other than me. Sean and Bree, part of their gift to me, and I know many others, has been this reminder of the life that you can have with God. The reminder of slow yourself down. You can trust him to heal. You can trust him. You can trust him to comfort. And the invitation for us, Holy Spirit, I just pray, the invitation for us is to move beyond knowing some facts about this and allowing it to just inch us a little closer on this Sunday to practices that will help us open the window and experience the wind. And so whatever posture of openness is like, if you have one, we often do like two feet flat on the floor, hands open. Maybe that's just like too outside or comfort zone, that's okay. Maybe it's just a posture of your mind. But I want to encourage you with your body. Some people, it's kneeling. You can feel free to come to the front and kneel if you'd like. It's really normal in our church. You can just come forward and do that. Maybe it's to put your hands up this posture of just surrender and openness.
But if you're here and you'd like to just, just say yes to whatever the next click is and trusting that you can have this life with God, deeper intimacy. Again, it's the same call again from last week. Like, I want to drink a little bit more. Maybe, maybe part of this moment is um, acknowledging that there are likely some things. You're traveling a bit heavy right now. And they are crowding out the voice of the advocate of the paraclete. We're not leaning or depending on God the way that we, we, we know we should, not out of duty, but out of a desire for life had a desire for love and freedom and laughter and joy even in the midst of the trial. Comforter, advocate, would you come and remind, remind our church right now of the things that you've taught about the way possessions and worry crowd out your voice and move us away from trust. Move us away from the mission that sits above any calling we have in our job or family life to demonstrate and announce the good news of Jesus. That distract us from that which is most good and most true and most beautiful. Comforter, would you come and just weed that out right now? I'm guessing like God's highlighting some stuff in your mind. Name it, hold it, let it go. It's just any other day, any other day in the life of a church of people who are just hungry and who are drawing near to the God of the universe and are learning to trust just a little bit more. It is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. For God has come near. It is well. He has moved toward us. I don't know what you want to do, Lord. But to all those who are open, we trust, Lord, that you want to move. There are people up here who'd love to pray with you. If you love prayer ministry, if you want to sit, reflect, write, journal, bring in prayer those things before God, join Sam as she sings with arms high and heart abandoned, we just open this space up. Lord, do whatever you want to do.